social, impact, everywhere. Welcome back, my fellow social impactors, to another episode of the Social Impactors podcast. And we have another guest for you today. We have Nigel Bennett, and he's an incredible gentleman, but I'm going to read a little bit about him. Uh, At a young age, Nigel was shocked to witness firsthand the real impact of oil spills on our natural world. After almost being shot down by FARC guerrillas on the Venezuela-Colombian border and being forced to escape Egypt while working for his father's oil spill contingency planning company, he decided to break away and start AquaGuard spill response. Now AquaGuard provides equipment, uh, provides equipment and services that protect water, the planet's most precious resource in 104 countries. Now that is absolutely profound how much impact AquaGuard spill response is having. But before we get into that, I want to give Nigel the chance to explain more. So Nigel, thanks so much for being with me here today on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Avery. I'm really excited to be on your show here. So thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And we're going to jump right into the first question because I want you to expand on absolutely everything that I just said (laughs) because that's a lot to digest there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first question is just, Mm -hmm. again, build on expanding on who you are, kind of what you do, and why you really believe you're a social impactor. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big question, but I, I, it goes way back for me right out of high school. It, you, what you just read there is, um, is kind of crazy because I was uh, working for my father's environmental mapping company for 10 years right out of high school. And I did go to technical college in between that. Um, but I was in Venezuela for a while. But then I was in Egypt for quite a long, you know, extended period of time. And, you know, while I was in Venezuela, I just saw so much environmental degradation around the coastlines and Lake Maracaibo of oil spills. And then I was over in Egypt for many years, and I, I was doing a, um, a survey of the Sinai Peninsula. You know, the Sinai Peninsula, the yeah, off Egypt, right? It separates yeah. Israel and Egypt. And um, I was I was flying in a helicopter, and there was a helicopter pilot. His name was Johnny, and he was an ex-Vietnam pilot, and he was taking me around. And he was only really supposed to take me into certain areas, um, but he kind of broke broke the rules a little bit. He was a bit of a, a bit of a cowboy. And um, so he flew me over to the Sinai and he told me to keep my camera between my legs and to shoot photographs through the, the floor, through the glass on the floor. And we had two oil workers in the back executives. And he said, look, through the headphones, I was in the front uh, in the co-pilot seat with him. And he said, look, you know, um, I can talk to you freely over the headsets. They don't have headsets. Um, but we have to drop these guys off. Whatever you do, do not let them see your camera because if they see your camera, they could um, report us and we could be um, arrested for spying. <laughs> and I was probably 22, 23 years old at the time. Oh my God. So yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a big wake up call being from uh, Vancouver here in Canada and uh, you know, being in Egypt. And um, so we dropped off these two oil workers and we flew north up the Sinai. And what I saw was just absolutely unbelievable. I saw pipeline after pipeline after pipeline that had been ruptured and oil rivers flowing into the Red Sea. And so I had my camera between my legs and I was banging off as many photos as I could of this. And when we landed back on the other, on the other side of the Red Sea, uh, just south of Suez in a little checkpoint um, area, he said to me, he said, okay, take these, take these photographs and show them the people that need to see them because nobody knows what's going on out here. And he said to me, he said, this resonated with me for my whole life. He said, he said, I know what you're doing and I know why you're here, 
but do you really think that you can make a difference? Like, do you really think you can make a difference here and in the world? And I thought, yeah, I'm 22 years old. Darn right I can. <laughs> but I, and that really resonated with me. And, I, and for 10 years, I was, in, I was in Egypt and I was in Venezuela and I was in Brazil and I was in Indonesia and Malaysia. And I saw the same thing over and over and over again. And so then I, I, I returned to Vancouver and I actually broke off my father's uh, company. And I, I started with a partner and with, with my sister, um, an oil spill uh, uh, cleanup company response. We designed manufacture oil spill skimming systems and containment barriers. The, the equipment you saw down in the BP Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico back uh, several years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that type of stuff. So yeah, I had a really you know big awakening when I was young to, you know, to hopefully do the right thing. And, I, and I've, I've, I've kind of re, rebranded our business. Our business is called AquaGuard. And for many years, I thought, yeah, we, you know, we support oil spill equipment around the world. That's great. But uh, I was at an uh, entrepreneur's conclave in Boston at MIT. And a speaker, this guy, Simon Sinek, stood up in front of us. And he said, you know, you guys all need to know why you do what you do. Why I do what I do. I said, no, you need to know your why. What's your why? What's your personal why? And what's your, your business why? And I thought about it. <clears throat> And I realized that my business why actually wasn't just oil spills. My company's name was AquaGuard. And AquaGuard means to protect water. So the why for my business changed you know, to protecting, uh, to be uh, the protection of the world's most precious resource, which is water. And then things really started to heat up from there. So yeah, that's a bit of an intro for you. <laughs> so I mean, it sounds like you've had quite a simple life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very simple life. <laughs> oh <my laughs> thrown God. into the deep end. Yeah, thrown into the deep end. I had no idea. You know, wow. I'm now 50, 57, and, you know, I was 22 when I was doing that, and I had no idea where this path, path would lead. And wow. over, the past, over the past 10 years, since 2010, things have really uh, ramped up exponentially for me on the uh, philanthropy and the social impact side of things. Yeah. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let me ask you the second question. Yeah. It's kind of building off of what you talked about. You've introduced yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you've talked more about who you are. Yeah. But mm -hmm. with everything you're doing, yeah, how are you then making a positive impact in your community? Well, I it it it, um, it goes back again for my community. I mean, my my wife and I and our family do a lot. We're very fortunate. We we do a lot in our community. But I thought, how do I leverage that even further? Um, so back in 2011. Um, or yeah, 2010, 2011, I was offered to sell my business to a large British um, competitor. And again, I went back to my class at MIT because it's an, it's an annual thing. It's a five-day thing. We've been going 16 years now. And a lady stood up in front of our class and her name was Lynn Twist. And she ran a group called the Pachamama Alliance, which works the indigenous tribes of the Amazon. But she also founded the Hunger Project globally and she worked with Mother Teresa in India. And this woman was, she was in her early 70s at the time, and, or late 60s. And she, she had me enamored. I was about to sell my business for a big bag of cash. And I was going to go sit on the beach and, I don't know, sell t-shirts, I guess. I don't know what I was going to do. And she, she invited us my, uh, to go deep into the Amazon with her to witness a tribe that had only had contact with her group 10 years before. And... So I went with her and I was able to take my family. I asked Lynn, I said, look, you know, my kids need to see this because they have much more bandwidth in their life to do change or make, make positive change and have an impact than I do. I've got this much left and they have this much left because they have social media and everything. And she agreed. So we went deep into the Amazon 
this is a little bit of a longer story, sorry for this, but um, this is really where there was a big turning point for me, was that I was really perplexed about selling my business. The deal was done, this British company had paid a deposit for us, but it wasn't really sitting right in my stomach. And so I went into the Amazon, I went deep into the Amazon, we piled into a tiny little Cessna plane and we flew from a, a one dirt runway for about an hour and a half, landed on a dirt runway on the side of the Amazon and we stayed in a village with a, this indigenous tribe with Lynn Twist and her Pachamama Alliance group. And we did a ceremony. And I had no idea what we were going to do. We did what was called an ayahuasca ceremony, which is a, uh, it's a vine and it's a, it's a bit of a hallucinogenic. And I laid down on this banana leaf and I went on this, this kind of this, this journey. It sounds crazy. Um, and I went on this journey and I was put in front of a shaman and the shaman had a, had a, um, like some feathers and he was whistling and uh, circling these feathers around in front of my face. And I saw this face really happy face looking at me and I thought oh this is great you know and um and then the face turned to a face of great responsibility it was staring right through almost into my soul <laughs> and and then it turned back to a, a face of nice warm you know happy face and then I went back to my banana leaf and I went off on my journey but on my flight home to Vancouver I was really wondering you know about selling my business or not and what I figured happened to me deep in the Amazon was that my conscience was trying to tell me something. My conscience was saying, no, 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 Nigel, don't sell your business. Mm. Keep your business. Yeah. Keep your business, leverage your business. You've been doing this for 30 years or almost 30 years. Leverage your platform that you've built to do good in the world. And I didn't know what that meant. I, you know, I said, do good. Like, well, what would, what would good be? And I, so that's what I did. I actually came back to Vancouver. I flew to London. I yanked the deal off the table. I said, no, the business isn't for sale. Bought up my uh, lifelong partner and had another guy coming up through the ranks and he was uh, basically running the business for me anyway. And I've been leveraging the business ever since to do good. And um, so our family have been involved in so many different, um, uh, we, we, we sponsor the Pachamama Alliance, working with indigenous tribes in the Amazon to help uh, to preserve their way of life keeping the oil industry back because the oil industry are desperate to get into their area and, um, and various other, other causes. And I, I just found that, and our family worked together. And I just find that working as a family, giving as a family and giving of ourselves is probably one of the most powerful things that I've ever experienced in my life. And so that's kind of where we are now, but I had a big turning point. Um, and, and I really believe that, you know, entrepreneurs, well, not just entrepreneurs, but um, but entrepreneurs, we have a um, a duty um, to help give, you know, to help give back, and not just hoard as much cash as we can and pile it in the bank and buy another boat or whatever it may be, but actually to do good with it and leverage our platforms and lever leverage the whatever we were doing to do good, as opposed to you know hoarding. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the point where I'm at right now. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of went on a little bit there, but yeah. no, I, I think that's quite mm. incredible, honestly. I mean, there was a huge <laughs> catalyst event and a really unique mm -hmm. catalyst event, but yeah. it all comes back to that idea that yeah, you the idea of leveraging is not a bad thing, right? You can mm -hmm. leverage things that exist and especially traditional systems. I had Absolutely. a guest on uh, a couple episodes ago who talked about that. You can use these traditional systems to then yes. make sustainable change in the future. 
Absolutely. I don't write them off. They're there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And then like I, like I mentioned to you offline earlier, um, there was this lady Lynn twist that has become a really good friend of our families and we've been heavily involved in their, uh, with their, with their group in San Francisco for, for 10 years now. And um, she wrote a book called the soul of money. And it, she, she basically says, you know, money isn't such a bad thing. If you use it for good, it, it flows like water. It kind of comes in, it goes out. And, um, you know, we can do a lot of good um, with, 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 uh, with money. So, yeah, she has this book called The Soul of Money, which has been, um, it's had a, a big shift in my life and my family's life. You know, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for anyone who didn't hear that, it's called The Soul of Money. <laughs> right. Soul Check, of it money, yeah. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah, Lynn Twist, yeah. And, <laughs> and, awesome. and, and yeah, and also um, investments. You know, I, I um, as a business guy, you know, I had various investments in all these different funds and I had no idea what I was investing in. And when I really deeply looked into it, it was mostly dirty, um, dirty technology and you know, oil industry and things like that. And um, I, I met some other people, um, another guy, Paul Herman, who wrote a book called The Hip Investor. And another guy that I do some, uh, some nonprofit stuff with, Joel, Joel Solomon in Vancouver. Um, he has a book as well. And basically it talks about you know, looking at our investments and see where we're actually putting our money. Is it in sustainable? Uh, things or is it in dirty things? And I and I, I I was shocked to see what I was invested in. So over the years, I've been change switching everything and moving things out into more sustainable technology, organic foods, you know, things like that. And they've been doing extremely well. And I had no idea. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. There was a study that, that I referenced way too much on the podcast. So people are probably really sick of it by now, but right. uh, it was by Unilever and it was uh, they, yeah. they all, they looked at their, their big parent company, looked at all the companies they own. They put mm -hmm. traditional companies in one column and then sustainable in the other. Right. And what they found across the board was that yeah. sustainable companies were 40% more profitable across yeah. the board. Yeah. I know. I it's, know. it's, it, yeah. It, and that information is not really out there. Right. It's not, it's not. And I, I know I, I had no idea until I, um, you know, again, in 20, 2010, I had a huge shift. So, and, and I think when you, I mean, when, when we have shifts like this, um, things get attracted to us a lot quicker. So I've been, you know, just running into people or introduced to people that are doing unbelievable things in the world, as opposed to, you know, grinding it out just for the almighty dollar, but actually doing it for the right reason. And once I stepped from this space into the other space, things started just um, um, happening exponentially. And um, yes, like I mentioned, Joel Solomon, uh, this, this other fellow in Vancouver, they also have a fund and it's, it's called uh, Renewal Funds. What they do is they only invest in these sustainable um, foods and technologies and things like that. So I, you know, I invested some in it. It's done, it's done unbelievably well. And I'm not promoting any of these guys' funds or anything, but just, just to be conscious of what we're investing in, you know? what what are we investing in and um it's it's been quite an eye-opener for me looking at hmm. this yeah yeah so let me ask you another question yeah i think this is a really good segue <laughs> and this is kind of building off of mm. how we do business in the world yeah and so this idea of social impact right do you think it's an important part of business i i think it's it's you know it's critical um you know, in, in, in a few different ways, I, I um, it also, it helps your business these days, um, especially the younger, younger generation, millennials and whatnot, it, there, there's statistics out there that they would rather work for a company that has social awareness than one that doesn't. And they'll check on uh, the company's website 
and see what their social responsibility is, you know, what, what they're doing and what they're supporting. And they would choose that company over, over one that, that hasn't. So it's actually become something that is, 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 is massive in the business world. Um, for no, one thing is for, for, for business to be doing that, but also to be contributing and, uh, you know, and helping out. So um, there, there is a massive shift coming. I, I think it's, I mean, it's already started in, in a large way, but I think it's, it's, it's important. And like I said, I think it's, um, as an entrepreneur, I think it's our duty to, to, um, to give back. And as myself, I'm 57 now, it's my duty as a 57-year-old person is to share my wisdom with younger generations and everything that I've learned and all my failures and all my successes. I think it's my duty to do that. I have more coffees and meetings with kids that are in their twenties than I have anybody, anybody my age, you know, people my age are playing golf and doing things like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm retiring soon. I'm going to go play golf. Okay, fine. But then I have, I have um, my, my kids are all in their mid twenties and all their friends and their friends, friends, you know, I, I spend a lot of time at coffee shops um, listening to their ideas. And it's, it's absolutely um, mind-boggling how these, these guys are switched on. They are so switched on and, and, you know, they're the future of the planet for sure. But they're, you know, we, you know our generation say, oh, kids are lazy and whatnot these days, but that's far from that. They're way more connected than we ever were. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So overall then, mm -hmm. what is your advice for people listening today and, and people yeah. who stumble upon this podcast, what's mm -hmm. your advice for them to begin making their own kind of impact in the world? Yeah, I, I, I found it. Um, I was totally perplexed. You know, I was, there was a friend of mine, I was in this entrepreneurs organization for many years. And one of my forum members, his name's David Ash, and he was starting to do incredible things, um, opening up, you know, uh, uh, women drop-in centers and all that type of stuff in the Vancouver East side. And I was in awe of this guy, how he actually did it and how he started. And we were in San, in San Diego at a meeting and we were at lunch down the, at the Coronado Hotel there on the beach having lunch. And I, and I said, Dave, I said, how do you, how, how did you know where to start? Like, how did you start doing all this? How did you? And he said to me, he said, Nigel, stop. It's, it's, it's a lot simpler than you think. I'm like, okay, tell me like, how, how, how did you start doing this? He said, it starts by, you know, you're walking down the street and there's a um, homeless person, you know, sit down, have a chat with them. People, they feel that they're invisible because nobody will talk to them. Everybody has a story. There's, there's a mother, they have mothers, they have, you know, kids and, you know, some traumatic thing could have happened or has happened to them, obviously. Give them a couple of bucks, you know, don't question. The chances are, yes, they could be buying drugs or alcohol or whatever it was, but that's not up to you. Give them a couple of bucks. And, you know, once you start doing this, you get into a rhythm and then, you know, you could start volunteering at a soup kitchen. So, so that's what we did. We ended up, my family and I, you know, we started you know, chatting with a couple of homeless people on the street. We started volunteering with my buddy Dave because he would, on Christmas day, he would uh, take a turkey down to the, the homeless shelter and serve turkey. So my wife would cook a turkey on Christmas morning. We'd take it down to the, the shelter and we'd carve it up and we'd serve it all day. And it had the most profound influence on my family, my kids. My kids were all young. They were probably four and five at the time. And then Dave uh, challenged us to go to Mexico and help uh, build homes for the homeless ones. And I said, no, the first year, second year we went. And 
you know, 15, 16 years later, we've gone 18, 19 times and we've, we've lit, we've been leading, we've taken 700, probably over 700 people there, but it all started with having a chat with my buddy on the beach and say, you know, what do I do? I want to help. I think, I, I honestly believe everybody wants to help in some way, but you just don't know where to start. And, and it's just that first little baby step. And after you take the baby step, another one will come and it, the world just opens up. And I, I said before, giving is a family, like our family, my, my kids are all in their mid twenties now when we started doing this when they were you know, three and four years old. And there's nothing more powerful as giving as yourself as a family, you know, giving your time. And uh, it just, it just kind of evolved. You know, I'm, I'm now, it's like 15, 20 years later and I look back and I go, oh my goodness, how did this all start? It all started with myself having a conversation with a friend of mine on that beach that day. Yeah, it's sometimes the most simplest things we can do. Yeah, that, that, it, that, it is simple. Yeah, and they, and they compound. They build off of each other, they, right? Oh, they compound. They, it's unbelievable how they compound. Like I said, yeah. as, soon as, I stepped, so much, as soon as I stepped from this world, whatever world I was in, the business, grinding it out, trying to make money, as much money as I could for my family to survive and all that stuff, as soon as I stepped one foot onto the other side into giving back a little bit, things just went kaboom. They just exploded. And it's, it's been, it's an, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah. And that's not what I do. I, I, I leverage my business and my platform and everything that I can to do good. It's hard to say no, because there's so many amazing causes and things to support, but um, there's a lot, really, there's a lot of good stuff going on out there. Hmm. Yeah. So Nigel, I want to end the podcast uh, now just by saying again, what I said in the beginning, a big thank you for being with me here today. And also, uh, I wanted to plug your book too before I oh, forget. So, right. so the I book, forgot, yeah, we, we forgot about your book. <laughs> so, <laughs> let, yeah, yes. let's do that uh, at the end here. Where can people find more about you? Where can they find your book? What's the best way to reach out? <laughs> yeah, my book is um, called Take That Leap Risking It All for What Really Matters. And it's on Amazon, it's, on, it's, it's an audio book as well, it's on Audible. Um, yeah, and you can get it off my website too. There's a link on my website directly to um, to Amazon as well, which is www. and it's Nigel N I G E L J then Bennett B E N N E T T dot com. Simple as that. Perfect. Again, Nigel, I just <laughs> want to say a big thank you for being with me here today. Hey, no worries, Avery. It was a, it was a pleasure. <laughs>